Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Joseph Polonica Show. I'm here with my friend Travis. How you doing, Travis? I'm good, Joseph. How are you? I'm doing all right. Uh, why don't you start by telling the audience a bit about yourself? Uh, my name is Travis. I'm, uh, I guess I'm about to turn 20, so we'll just say I'm 20. I'm an urban studies major at UT. Uh, I don't know. Those are the important bits, right? Yeah, why, do you make, why are you deciding to major in uh, urban study? Urban studies. Um, that's a good question. Um, I think the biggest reason was because I took a really informative trip to um, New York City a couple summers ago. And cities have always been something I was a little obsessed with because I was from the middle of nowhere. And going to the big city was like a big deal. So going to New York, going to like the city as in like Austin or San Antonio. So going to New York City was a very big deal. And when I got there, I realized how much I enjoyed these kinds of places. Hmm. Um, and then eventually I realized how much I enjoyed the science of them. How oh, to right, make them the better, science. how to make them more livable. Uh-huh. Yeah. So what do you enjoy about New York City? Um, I enjoy that it's, most of all, I enjoy that it's, it has this sort of energy, I think, that other people probably have described. Like it's, it's just unique in the way you feel when you're there, especially Manhattan, obviously. There's just a liveliness and an energy and a life about it that I think other places don't have. Um, also, I also like it, obviously, because of, um, you know, it's dense. Um, it's, for the most part, more pedestrian-friendly anyway than most of the country. There's transit. Um, it's more bikeable than most cities here in the country. It's As an urbanist, it's a place that um, I really enjoy. So you'd say like the quality of life is a lot better in New York City comparable to like I don't know you're from Divine Texas yeah rural basically. rural uh, rural town outside of Austin, Austin? yeah okay San Antonio okay so you say like uh, for example I know you're a big fan of uh, public transit mm-hmm. uh, is that like one of the aspects of New York that you really enjoy yes you, you, you find more enjoyable yeah right? it's famous for its subway which obviously is a great pretty good example um, at least a good start of like what public transit should look like obviously it's a little defunct especially compared to some of its uh, international peers in a place like tokyo or something but um it has pretty incredible coverage um it runs 24 hours which is pretty incredible yeah it can get you from a to b better or as good at least as good as a car can in new york uh-huh okay so you you know you'd say uh, we should have I, I suppose more transit than cars is that what it is um, I don't know if it has to be one has to be more prolific than the other. Yeah. <clears throat> um, but I would say that like you should have at the very minimum you should have a choice. Like if you live in a place like Austin where we're at right now, obviously, you wake up and for the most part, if you need to go somewhere, you have to hop in a car. I'm lucky enough to live in like central Austin, so I can use a bus or walk or bike if I really wanted to, and usually I do. Um, but for the most part, taking cars is way more convenient in a place like this because the city is built for cars. Because there's parking lots, because there's wide roads, um, because there's highways that cut through the center of the city. Mm-hmm. Um, so we live in a world where taking a car is almost always the most efficient thing to do by far, unless you happen to live in one of the you know handful of truly urban places yeah. in the country. Yeah, so you said in comparison to uh, Tokyo, New York City has almost like a mediocre transit system, right? Yes. So do you know why that is? Is there like some sort of reason behind it? Um, uh, systemically, like, I would say, like, are you asking, like, what features make Tokyo better or why the MTA can't make a competent subway system? I suppose both. Yeah. So, 
in Tokyo, a lot of it is just kind of, obviously the Japanese are famous for their efficiency and their cleanliness, and uh-huh. that definitely rings true in their subways. Yeah. yeah. I've um, seen videos of the Japanese subways. They're, yes. They're clean. They're extremely clean. In, in comparison to New York City, I was in New York City not too long ago, and I, it, I wouldn't say it was, places, yeah, right? it was certain, certain trains, I say, in certain areas, yeah. Yeah. Um, in Japan, the subways are fucking... I mean, I've never been to Japan, but obviously yeah. I've read about it and I understand that they're very, very clean places, mm-hmm. the subways and stations. Um, and they're also extremely efficient and they always come on time. Why do you think they're cleaner? Um, do you think there's a difference in, I don't know, uh, civilization? Like individuals in, in, in Tokyo seem to enjoy, I suppose, cleanliness a lot more than individuals in New York City or is it something to do with I don't know they're a lot more funded in Tokyo or something like that like why do you think the transit over there is cleaner than in New York mm-hmm. um that's kind of a hard question to answer if I'm being honest but it's a good one um do you think it has something to do with the like I don't know the homelessness rate yeah New York definitely has um a lot of homelessness I don't know if that would necessarily contribute to the cleanliness of the subways. Um, I think in general, international cities, maybe like Paris is another good example. Paris is famously kind of a dirty city, uh, at least from what I remember. Um, obviously, it's still a beautiful city, not ragging on Paris here. Yeah. Um, I loved it there. I heard certain but parts like right outside of Paris might be a little filthy. That's what I've heard. I don't know if that's true or not, but... That's uh, I was I was never in the suburbs. Okay. I was even in like Central Paris. I was like, wow, this place is kind of dirty. Oh, really? Yes. Um, I would say a similar level of filth to New York. So I think maybe international cities just have that kind of quality. Like they're just big, turbulent mm-hmm. sort of places. Yeah. But I don't. The comparison to Tokyo, I don't. I don't know exactly why. Yeah. Uh, it's dirtier. It could be cultural, you know. Yeah. Okay. Americans, maybe just Americans, just litter. I don't know. Yeah. So, yeah, I know you're a big advocate for, for public transit, like we just said. Um, and you've talked about why, I think you said something along the lines of roads and uh, parking garages make up, I think, 40% of all cities or something like it's, that. Not, or most, most cities or something like that. Yeah. That right? The statistic is that like 40% of American cities, 40% of the space in American cities are dedicated to cars. So that's like parking. So that's basically the storage and movement of cars. So roads and various parking solutions garages lots etc etc um and to me that's just that's like that you know i don't want to say that i've been radicalized towards urbanism but if if i was if i was to say that i've been radicalized that was the moment where i was like jesus that's insane yeah there's no reason that 40 percent of our space should be dedicated to giant aluminum box for everyone to have their own giant aluminum box that goes 60 miles an hour and can easily kill people uh-huh. um, when we have like uh, like a housing crisis where prices are sky high in the most desirable places and where people many people can't even afford uh, rent mm-hmm. obviously homelessness um, so that's just absurd to me and it's in never mind what it's like to actually live in those places I don't for me the the notion that you're talking about the suburbs correct is that what it is pretty much yeah okay yeah um, like the notion that Almost half of my city is just like a parking lot yeah. or a road. I don't find those to be pleasant spaces. I don't. I don't think. Gee, this is a nice parking lot, or wow, that's a pretty highway. Um, I just don't think that we should be dedicating our tax dollars and spending our lives in inhospitable, unpleasant spaces. 
I think it's a lot more pleasant to live somewhere where there's wide sidewalks and there's uh, spaces designed for people, I guess. So what do you think we should should do about these like rows and parking garages? Completely get rid of them or should we, I don't know, innovate, I, I don't know, um, transform them into, I don't know, a pedestrian hangout of some kind? Like we just, we were just in Austin, right? Yeah. They closed off the roads and right. they allowed pedestrians to walk through them and whatnot. Yes. Hang out. Should we do, start doing that? That's a really great example of something I would do. Um, yeah, just literally just closing closing a road to traffic and making a sort of block party out of it is a really cool example of urbanism that's incredibly easy to do. And a lot of cities kind of did that during COVID just to give people space to get outside. Um, but yeah, but I mean... In terms of like retrofitting that space, if that's what you're asking, you can't, it's kind of sucks because you can't retrofit a parking garage, really. It's not, I, I can't think of any examples. Yeah. And there's not really any mainstream ideas of how to do that because mm-hmm. it's like every floor is like slanted, right? So it's like, well, you can have slanted apartments. No. So there's no way to retrofit a parking garage, unfortunately, other than knock it over. Um, but a parking lot, obviously, you just build on top of. It's super easy to retrofit. Yeah. Um, is that kind of answer? Was that kind of what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so do you want to have less roads? Is that fair? Um. So, so do you think having less roads would, I, I suppose, make it a bit more difficult to, for people to have cars or decide to have cars to, I, I don't know, roam around the city? I don't think we need less roads. I think we need more people per, like, you know, foot of road or whatever. So, like, New York, obviously Manhattan has a lot of roads. Okay. Or Brooklyn or whatever. Um, but in each of those city blocks, there's a lot of people, maybe arguably too many. Manhattan's is like a really, really dense city. Um, but there's a ton of roads there. There's just also people there and there's next to those roads, there's really wide sidewalks and beneath the roads, there's subways. Um, so it's like, which kind of captures like my notion of city building, which is that not that we need to like abolish cars, although I might joke about that. It's that we need to have alternatives. Yeah. Because some people, you know, if people can afford a, um, a car in a place like Manhattan, then good for them, I guess. Um, and if people just really need to use a car because they have some, some kind of disability and it's just too difficult to, um, you know, to go up and down into the subway station, blah, blah, blah. Great. Let them use a car. There's no reason people shouldn't have access to cars. But they should also have access to public transit, to great sidewalks, to uh, bikes, stuff like that. Yeah. So, so, do you, so you're not anti-road. You're, you're not. So you're not an advocate for abolishing roads, right? No, 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 no. We still need. But roads. you are an advocate for abolishing garages. Is that what it is? Because um, you said it was a lot easier to, I suppose, create those garages into pedestrian areas or hangout areas. Is that right? Yeah, I don't know that we have to abolish anything, even okay. if I might throw around well, a word slightly, like that. Slightly abolish or slightly get rid of. Maybe you just have to make it. It's like. We, we need to give cars the treatment that public transit have gotten in most of the country. Just make it okay. hard. So it's okay. kind of kind of my notion, which um, obviously to many people is radical because cars is just seen of it. Uh, driving places is just seen as the default way of life in America. Um, but I don't think. Why is that? Why is it a default way of life? Well, it, it started in the. Um, we'd have to go back to the 40s. Yeah. Uh, Basically, the federal government 
Um, well, it was a few things, and there's two I'll allude to. Um, the first is the federal government subsidized single-family homes, detached single-family homes. So, like, a single-family home obviously is, like, four walls of roof dedicated to one family, as opposed to multifamily home, homes being anything from a duplex to, um, you know, like a mid-rise apartment building like I'm in now, or even, like, a high-rise condo or whatever. Yeah. Like the independent downtown or whatever. Uh-huh. Um, the federal government starts subsidizing single-family houses, yeah. um, which obviously are not a very dense form of 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 uh, city building. It's it's quite few people per square mile as compared to somewhere like, you know, not to not to uh, not to be a broken record, but New York. Um, and the other is that the uh, automobile manufacturers, you know, Ford, GM, blah blah blah. They did what pretty much every private company in this country does and lobbied to the federal government. They said, um, well, not just the federal government, also a lot of city and state governments, but through various means of lobbying, they asserted the dominance of the automobile. They said, you need to build roads, not transit. You need to put parking minimums so that every building has to have a certain number of parking spots uh, per square foot or per person that will use the building. And they pressured all levels of government, basically, to favor automobiles over transit, which is obviously good for their bottom line because they're going to sell cars. So eventually we found ourselves in a world where we were, the U.S. grew so much and so quickly in like the mid-20th century. Most of our country's infrastructure, oh, I don't know if it's most, I don't know if that's exactly a true claim, but much of our country's infrastructure was built for the car. In an era when we thought the car was going to be, when we thought the car was the greatest thing in the world and where levels of government were favoring it over transit. A great example of that is like Austin used to have its own streetcar network, like a whole, I don't know exactly how many lines, but there's maps you can look up on Google, like Austin streetcar network, whatever. And there were a number of lines going through and around central Austin, you know, up to Hyde Park, to West Austin, to East Austin, across uh, town lake and the city got the city or whatever got lobbied to to just deactivate the the streetcars so we had a this great perfectly functional public transit system that we just destroyed mm-hmm. because we decided cars were better yeah that would be like if we tore down i-35 and said you're only allowed to take a train from now on Okay. Which maybe I maybe maybe I joke about doing that, but that's obviously absurd because you need a way from get to you need a way to get to uh, you know to places that don't warrant entire you know train route or whatever. But yeah. so cars do have some place. Yeah. It's just that in America there is no other alternative for most people. Getting a car is the only reasonable way to get around. Okay. Even in Austin, where we have a bus system, and I live in Central Austin. Yeah. Which is where like ideally public transit use should be the easiest. There are times where I need to go to a store that's, you know, maybe just two miles away, but I go to pull it up on the map, press transit. And it's like, oh, yeah, that's two hours. I'm like, okay, that's cool. Okay. So let's say we do implement public transit throughout, I don't know, um, the U.S.'s major cities. Yeah. What does that mean? How do we pay for this? Well, we pay for it the same way we pay for anything, which is taxes, obviously, um, and also fares, like we do now. Okay. Um. We pay for roads already, right? Yeah. Federal and state dots spend an unbelievable amount of money on roads, um, both building and maintaining them. Text dots getting ready to drop, I don't know, probably $20 billion or so on, uh, I don't know, renovating, expanding. I don't know. We're not sure yet. 
I-35 through downtown. Um, and all of Austin's uh, Project Connect, Prop, uh, Prop B, I think, which just passed, mm-hmm. is going to cost like, uh, I think like $7 billion. So we're going to do like a third of the amount of money um, to build transit that covers a large portion of the city as opposed to changing a small portion of road next to downtown. Obviously, I think one of those is a little more efficient. Um, but yeah, we would you would you would use taxes the same way we pay for roads pay for roads with taxes now. Um, you could divert money from roads. Do you think it's fair that uh, I suppose that people should vote for public transit? I think people vote. I mean that you're kind of begging the quite whole question of whether or not people. You're, you're that's like you know like you're we're questioning democracy itself at that point. I mean. Right now, a lot of the ways we pass transit is through, uh, you know, city propositions or whatever. Okay. I think those are good. I think in a lot of cities, voters are ready for that kind of stuff. Um, I think that we should use whatever regular channels of, of legislation we have now are. Okay. So, let's say I have a car already. Mm-hmm. And I enjoy riding it. And I enjoy driving it throughout the city. I, jo- I enjoy the roads. And I don't need a public transit. I don't, I don't need to... I don't know, purchase a Metro card mm-hmm. for the year. Why should this person pay more taxes mm-hmm. for something that they don't want implemented or they don't want, they, they will never in their life use? Um, well, if I don't want a car and I only take a bus, why should I? Well, I guess buses, it's a bad example. Buses use the roads. If I live in New York and I don't own a car, and I only take the subway to work. Why should you? Pay Why should for I roads? pay for roads? Yeah, that's true. So, do you think? Let's say, I'd say, do you think that the taxes on public transit will be a lot more radical than taxes on I don't know um, filling a pothole on the road? Um, per dollar, or, or rather, um, per dollar, per passenger mile, or uh. Well, I guess what I'm trying to say is that public transit is definitely more cost-effective than cars, um, like, as a whole. Like, the average um, American spends, I don't know exactly how much, but a lot of money on on buying and maintaining a car. Um, so, like, as an economy, we would we spend a lot of money on transportation, both personally, because we buy, buy and maintain cars, and publicly, because the state has to build and maintain roads. Um, than we would if we each person took public transportation. Because yeah. per, per, it's obviously, it's cheaper to put, you know, 20 people in one train car than just have for 20 people to have their own car and then take up all that road space. Never mind, never mind storage. There has to be somewhere for them to put their car every time they drive somewhere. There has to be a spot at their house. There has to be a spot at their work. There has to be a spot where they go to the cleaners. There has to be a spot at the grocery store. And every time, every time you build a new parking spot, that's money. That costs money. Okay. Um, so do you think implementing public transit would somehow affect small businesses? Now, what I mean by this is I'm going to be a bit more specific and say, let's say fast food restaurants mm-hmm. that have drive throughs And let's say uh, we do implement public transit in, in, in major cities in the U.S. Do you think people are going to – if people start um, taking public transit instead of taking their car, for example, they get rid of their car. Mm-hmm. They, for, they, now, they now take public transit. They can't go through drive-throughs anymore. Do you think people are just maybe the fast food restaurants will just abolish the drive-through? Maybe. Do you think that'll happen, or do you think maybe the revenue will, or, or 
small businesses will lose money from this? Um, well, I think I think that if you go to a typical suburban, if you go to if you look at a typical American suburb, it's a place where small businesses struggle because um, they're filled, obviously, with you know franchised fast food, Walmart. You know, in Texas we have H E B. Um, they're littered with franchises, right, and chains. Whereas if you go to a place like New York. Obviously, there's a lot more local businesses. Yeah. Even if you know rent is ostensibly higher or whatever. Yeah. Um, you have all the bodegas that are independent. You have all your independent restaurants. You have independent grocers, independent dry cleaners. Yeah. All these things that are totally independent. I mean, if you have, if you imagine Brooklyn, do you imagine franchised restaurants? Right. There's no Chili's in Brooklyn. I mean, there probably is, but Brooklyn's not known for Brooklyn or Manhattan or whatever. It's not known for its franchises. But if you live in the suburbs, probably. Just to, just as a ballpark, sixty to seventy percent of the places you shop at are franchises or chains, right? Mm-hmm. So if anything, I would I don't know if I can describe the exact mechanics of it, but if anything, it seems like independent businesses do a lot better in urban environments. Okay, so let's say uh, a city like Houston, for example, that doesn't have an abundance of public transit, right? Yeah, that'd be a pretty large shift. Do you think it'd be a pretty large shift from? Not much public transit to a lot of public transit, and therefore people will. I what I'm saying is people will stop using cars because they have public transit now, right? Yeah. Do you think small businesses will take a hit in like in places like Houston that public transit isn't all that popular, like not like New York where it is popular? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So like the fundamental requirement for building or for using for ha- for for justifying the construction of public transit for having people actually use public transit is density, right? The only reason it works in a place like New York is because there are a lot of people per square mile and all those people can walk to the train station, get on the train, take it to where they're going. And because where they're going is also dense, it's easier for them to walk to their workplace or to the grocery store, wherever they need to go. Um, But even if you did start to build transit in a place like Houston, if you just randomly started putting trains in Katy or whatever, yeah, it's like, there's so few people per few people per square mile. You would have three people on the train, mm-hmm. and so you'd have the only people who would use a train are people who could reasonably walk to it. So let's say people within the ten minute who live within ten minutes walking, in a in a Katy you know suburban like subdivision, that's not a lot of people. Um, so you have those few people who happen to live within walking distance of it, and then wherever they're going, it needs to be within walking distance of their destination. Which again, when a Walmart parking lot is the size of a block in Manhattan or similar to it or whatever, the chances that their destination is within walking distance of the subway is also pretty slim. So you have to like satisfy those two requirements for people to justify using transit. And you can't just do that magically. So what has to happen first is that you have to do what's called upzoning, where you make places more dense, basically. Okay. So that's happened pretty rapidly so think, in Austin. Okay. So do you think that'll, I suppose, cost money as well? No, it's actually... I mean, obviously, building new things costs money. That's always expensive. And making cities all um, more dense. But right. per, per per person, it's cheaper. Because if you're a developer, and you have one acre of land or whatever, and you build, let's say, four or five single-family houses on it, then you can only fit, you know, let's say, four person per house, 25, or four times four, 16 people. You have 16 people on an acre of land, Right. So that's pretty expensive per person. Yeah. Because it's the cost of the acre of land plus construction divided by the number of people. 
that's pretty expensive. If you take that same acre and you build a mid-rise apartment and you've got a bunch of, you have, I don't know, let's say six units per floor and it's six floors, that's 36 floors, 36 times four, you're doing like over a hundred people on that same acre of land, obviously that's way cheaper per person. So yeah. if anything, that would drive costs down because okay. you can make housing more abundant. Okay. Because it's like supply and demand, right? Yeah. If there's a greater supply of housing, the price will go down. So you're not a big fan of suburban neighborhoods. So do we, what do we do no. with them? It's a great question. And the answer is I don't really know. I honestly have no idea. I was thinking idea. you wanted to do a complete reconstruction of the city. Is that what it is? I mean, you. I mean, I kind of know. You upzone them, right? Okay. You tell Because right now we have zoning restrictions, yeah. which tell developers they're only allowed to build single-family housing in these neighborhoods or in these areas. Um, so you should, obviously it's absurd um, that the government requires you build certain types of housing um, in certain areas. Developers should be allowed to build whatever they want. Not whatever they want, obviously. You know, you shouldn't build a nuclear plant next to a school. <laughs> but they should be allowed to build whatever they want within reason. Um, yeah. That means density. Mm -hmm. um, so the first thing you do is upzone. You tell, hey, developers, if you want to come in and turn these houses into tri tri triplexes, fourplexes, duplexes, you want to put maybe a three-story apartment building you should totally do that you do that first but obviously that's a really slow and, a, and somewhat expensive process because you have to demolish a bunch of houses build yeah. a bunch of new stuff yeah um and at that point personally i have to wonder like is it even worth it like wh where's the point of diminishing returns on yeah. demolishing and rebuilding demolishing yeah. and rebuilding um but fundamentally that is the only way to like achieve my goals is to like rub zone basically do you think do you think the majority or the vast majority maybe of people will think it's worth it? So you think it's worth it because it's your goal, right? Right. But do you think the vast majority of people that live in these areas will think it's worth it? When I, I, I'm, I'm assuming that people that live yeah. here enjoy living there because they live there, right? That's such a difficult question. And honestly, I don't have any good answers. Because, like, first of all, you're asking people to have, like, construction next to them. Yeah, Like in Austin, exactly. we're upzoning East Austin. Upzoning West Campus, and I, you know, I was in New York City. Like I said, I was in New York City not too long ago, and I, I construction was everywhere. I mean, I, I think yeah. there's some sort of. Uh, uh, it's known that uh, New York City is always totally yeah, in construction. So it was would it be like one of those scenarios where the city will always always be in construction? No, you know, not always. Okay, but there will always be construction in some sort of in in. I don't know somewhere in the city. Perhaps. It's yeah. It's but just I'm hard assuming to say. like like in the beginning of, of this whole reconstruction or remodeling of this city, construction will be common, very common. Yeah, it's yeah. Austin's a great um, like example, like uh -huh. test subject. They're upzoning recently in the last few years. Upzone West Campus. So there's constantly like fifteen to twenty story apartment buildings being built. Um, there's two or three new ones every year or something like this, that. Do you think this will cause people to, I suppose, migrate away from these cities or maybe perhaps these states? I, I think people will make their own cost-benefit analysis. And I think that it, it all comes down to whether or not we can pitch a more um, pleasant way of life. Yeah. You know, I think obviously young people right now are flocking to cities part of the reason why they're so expensive um and i think that's great and i think the product of that is a lot of developers and city governments have started catering to these young people who want these more urban environments um and austin has a lot of really great examples of new developments that are dense 
and, and, and pedestrian friendly and built with the with the with people in mind, not cars. Yeah. Okay. So do you think maybe okay? Perhaps let's say we get a we get rid of a suburban area. We want to construct it into I suppose a new a new New York City or a new Austin. Do you think the people that originally originally lived in these areas will perhaps move into a different suburban area where yeah. they feel a lot more comfortable instead of living somewhere that they don't want to live in? Do you think that'll cause people to migrate away from you know? I think maybe this will cause people to leave instead of stay instead of come do you think that's a possibility perhaps or do you think i don't know folks will look past i don't know the reconstruction and the taxes and the inconvenience of everything i don't know do you think that'll happen or do you think it's a possibility or do you think it's absurd um americans have definitely been convinced that like yeah that our friend fell asleep on the couch. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, I didn't. Um, convinced that like um, the the only thing you can do is go to college, and then like graduate, maybe go to grad school. Okay. Marry someone. Yeah. And then move to the suburbs and buy a big house with a lawn and a driveway, and have two and a half kids and whatever. Um, <clears throat> so. It's hard to wane people off that idea. And I don't think we necessarily have to because um, obviously places that I allude to, like, I guess you could allude to Brooklyn, but there are better examples. Maybe, um, sure, we'll go with Brooklyn, whatever. Brooklyn's an urban place and even the least dense places are still pretty dense. Still dense enough anyway for transit. Um... So just because it's dense enough for transit, which is more dense, obviously, than American suburbs, doesn't mean that it still doesn't, doesn't mean, what I'm trying to say, man, I'm really tripping over no, words you, here. No, you're doing all right. Um, there are spaces between condo apartments, like downtown Austin, uh-huh. and suburban single-family housing. There are duplexes, there are townhomes, there are row homes. There are lots of ways to produce dense environments without making it feel like you live in the middle of Manhattan. Yeah. And, and, and personally, I'm grateful for that because I don't want to live in the middle of Manhattan. Uh-huh. Fam- I Obviously, all my friends know I want to live in New York, but I don't want to live in... Maybe I'll live in Manhattan when I'm young now or whatever, but yeah. certainly when I get a little older, I would want to move to Brooklyn or something where it's a little less dense, a little a quieter, quieter, a little yeah. calmer, a yeah. little more residential. Yeah. Um. So, like, achieving my goals of, like, density or pedestrian friendliness or like transit um the accessibility to transit don't mean like abolishing the american dream of owning your own home and having a little space it just means abolishing the um legal requirement to build single family homes right like uh yeah yeah i think that kind of paints the picture i understand so let's say let me be a bit more specific. I'm going to diverge into a different topic here. So uh, these inner city, the um, the inner city communities, mm-hmm. do you think uh, perhaps the abundance of authority and police somehow either, I don't know, in, do you think it's better for these cities or communities? So do you think police are better for communities is what I'm asking. So do you think 
let's say a place like I, are you familiar with uh, Fourth Ward Ward in Houston? Sure. Yes. Do you think it's better to implement police there? As in, do you think it's better for the community? That's a big question, dude. Yeah. Uh, man, I think as long as we have like industrial like capitalism, I think some kind of law enforcement have to ex- has to exist. Um, just because society requires like the enforcement of like its own rules. Yeah. Um, so let's, yeah. so what I'm saying is outright, I don't think we should abolish police as long as capitalism exists. Do you think we should implement more police in in community communities that have, I suppose, a high crime rate? Where, I don't know, um, criminal activity is more common or prone? Um, I think a lot of, I don't... I think a lot of the common sense solutions to policing that have been proposed are pretty good and seem like, excuse me, um, they would do a pretty good job of reducing incidents of like police brutality as well as still addressing, you know, why, what police are supposed to do, which is fight crime. Um, um, but I don't necessarily know that a reduced police presence is better. I, I don't, I don't, that's honestly, if I'm being totally honest, that's an issue that I've not read enough data about to like make any solid claims. But I definitely don't think that abolishing the police, I want this in paper, I do not think abolishing the police is a sensible solution. So is it fair to say that you think more police in communities that have high crime rates is better for that community? That. No, I don't think they need more. I don't think the presence of more police makes people feel safer. And I don't necessarily know that it prevents crime. Maybe it does. Again, I don't know. I, don't, I haven't looked at the data on that. Um, but I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. If, I don't know. I, don't, I can't give you a straight answer on that one. Do you think it'll... Let's say... Okay, so do you think implementing more police in these communities will give, I suppose more people the incentive to invest in these community communities to make them better because look listen if i was investing in a city that i knew was protected by police i'd feel comfortable investing in these communities you, you understand what i'm saying mm-hmm. so you think that's i suppose a upside to more police um potentially i think obviously any consideration of a city official is whether or not people want to sp- whether or not developers or businesses want to want to put spend money in their cities, yeah. Um, but I don't necessarily know if that if that would attract. Yeah. People. So do you think if people like invest in I don't know small businesses, perhaps that'll create like I don't know a local taxation base that'll mm-hmm. create better public schooling, perhaps, which will therefore create, I suppose, a better milieu of I don't know. Um, I think creating better schooling or investing in these communities create a local taxation base which creates better public schooling which creates or which diminishes the the high crime rate. Yeah, definitely we should have better funded schools in the inner cities yeah. like unquestionably. So do you think um, the implementation or the implementation of police contributes to that? No, because the problem is that School funding is tied to property taxes to begin with. That's I think that's pretty absurd. 
um, because then poor areas continue to have shitty schools because they're poor. And because their schools are shitty, they don't have very good prospects and can't escape poverty. So that's a cycle. That's a vicious cycle, and that obviously is pretty evil. But I don't I don't know if I could connect that to police. I can't think of a way to do that, and I've never seen any data to suggest that. Okay. Okay. Well, that makes sense. So do you think they're like a... So do you think we should evenly distribute police? In each community, perhaps. Because let's say there is a five percent crime rate in one community, mm-hmm. and a I'm, I'm giving you radical numbers here, but ninety percent crime rate in another community. Mm-hmm. Do you think we should evenly distribute police in those two communities, or do you think one community should have a bit more police, perhaps, or maybe a significant amount amount of more police to keep their citizens uh-huh. protected, or? feel a bit more safe or okay i'm glad you used that analogy you got me thinking about it a little bit okay well i think the first thing you'd have to do is to connect you'd have to prove that having more police deters crime okay which i just don't i've never looked into i just don't yeah that yeah. seems like a common sense thing obviously yeah. do you think maybe the the mainstream media perhaps has painted this this demonized illustration of of police today um, is that maybe why perhaps Maybe. Yeah, obviously most news networks are pretty much mouthpieces for the Democratic Party. And then Fox News is a mouthpiece for the Republican yeah, Party. Sure. Yeah. So yeah, so totally the media has just like expressed the the talking points of the DNC. Yeah, unquestionably. Okay. Maybe not the talking points of like their leadership. I don't think Joe Biden or Nancy Pelosi are anti-police necessarily. But I think Democrats have to like pretend to be anti-police. Because a lot of their voters expect that. Yeah. So Joe Biden would never be why like, do you think, yeah. yeah, I love cops, but Joe Biden also was going to be like a cab. So why do you think these, these, let's say, why do you think Joe Biden needs or has to be in some, in some way, some form, kind of sort of anti-police mm-hmm. for their voters? Like, why do you think that is? Why do you think voters frown upon being extremely pro-police? Like, for example, Trump. I guess it's just like a... It's just like the the propaganda network, right? Like the the it's it's actually a really weird one because obviously my like Marxist talking point for the DNC is that they're the left, not even the left wing, but the less the less reactionary wing of capital. They they service they service corporate America. That's their job first and foremost. Um, and so when I think about that, I'm like, why do Democrats? want to uh go after the police when police protect private property it's like the most there it's like the most fundamental function of a police force is to protect private property they'll shoot you if you steal they value that property over your life that's their first goal i know you may not you may not agree with the notion or you might contend with that but i mean it's pretty explicit that if you commit like a robbery um and you try to run away, they're not afraid to shoot you in certain situations. Yeah. Huh. They're obviously they they probably won't shoot someone that's like unarmed, robbing a grocery store or whatever. Um, and maybe, yeah, like if they have a gun and they're robbing a grocery store, then yeah, maybe you're justified to shoot them. But yeah, um, or not a grocery store, a corner store. Um, but it's pretty explicit that the police system values property over life. Um, so I'm like, what is the angle here? Why do Democrats want to? 
Do you think there's um, some sort of maybe racial narrative behind the Yes, that's it, well, that's exactly what it is. The two parties have essentially used racial, well, not just race identity politics, but identity politics, in this case, race politics, to divide people. Um, and they were really happy with that. They're like, oh, we can pit... We can use we can use race politics. We can use the politics of race to divide working people. They obviously are pretty happy with that, but then it kind of bit them in the ass when the race politics got connected to the police. So they have to sort of they have to do this balancing act of pandering <laughs> to the BLM ACAP people, yeah, while not actually passing policy to like defund police uh-huh. because police are like one of the most fundamental structures in a capitalist like country. They are like. They enforce the rule of private property. Yeah. Capitalism can't exist without that. Someone has to do it. And that's what cops do. So Democrats will never actually defund the police. Let's get that clear. They'll just pander to those people because they have to. Because they, they sort of Need their vote. put themselves in this corner. Okay. Yeah. So you talked about capitalism right now. Mm-hmm. You have a take on that? Dear listener, I'm not a big fan. <laughs> <laughs> why is that uh why don't i like capitalism yeah um is there like it a fucking sucks dude. yeah it is there sucks. a paragraph behind it uh i think the moment i realized i hated capitalism was yeah. like in my first job i worked at a pizza hut for like minimum wage or barely more and it, i hated it it sucked mm-hmm. it's a shitty unpleasant job I barely got paid, but I saw the amount of fucking money they were making. Dude, you know how many fucking pizzas I made and fucking sold? Yeah. I sold a shit ton of pizza. <laughs> I didn't see any of that money, though. Some other lazy prick in some office building made that money. That is insane. Yeah. People doing the work should see the profits of their own work. Okay. And that was like the fundamental... That's like the fundamental notion... That's like what I realized that really radicalized me, like... I'm doing work. Other people are making money. That's insane. And what's interesting is that obviously you would be like, when you talk about like welfare, that's like what you would say about it. You're doing work, paying taxes and funding other people to sit around. Um, so it's interesting how we have like the same basically like view, but like about two entirely different things. Um, so you said you made not minim- words in your mouth. No, no, it's fine. So you said you made minimum wage, right? Or close to it, yeah, maybe fifty cents over. Seven, cents. either made seven twenty-five or like seven seventy-five or like between there. Okay, so do you think we should perhaps increase the minimum wage? Is that it? Maybe unquestionably. Unquestionably, yeah. why is that? Because it's insane that people can work forty hours a week and still not make rent. Do you think maybe we should abolish the minimum wage? Definitely not. Why not? Because well, actually, well, hang on. There are ways to enforce a minimum wage without actually having it. A lot of, I think, I don't want to, I don't know if I can name the exact country, but I think it might be Denmark where there's no minimum wage, but everything is unionized. So every industry has its own wage, basically, and then unions set the wages. I think that's pretty cool. And if you're person, if you're someone that's not a fan of government interference and Unions aren't government, obviously. Um, that's actually a cool way to enforce the minimum wage without like public um, like regulation of the market. But yes, in general, I'm a fan of a minimum wage. Okay, so you're a fan of enforcing 
a higher minimum wage. Like, let's say fifteen dollars. I think is the number, right? Is that it? You know, I hate What's to say number? it. More. You know, Bernie said fifteen in twenty sixteen. <laughs> Man, that was five years ago. <laughs> I would honestly. If I ran for office, I would start at 20. I think you could argue for 22 or more. There are like calculators online that show you like what a reasonable minimum wage would be based on cost of living. And I think having it vary from place to place is smart. Um, or could be anyway. Um, but I think a good national minimum wage should be at least 15. And I think if you want to be fair, it should be much higher in a place like New York City or San Francisco or even Austin. So do you think increasing the minimum wage so you said 20 Mm -hmm. will somehow diminish the incentive for people to start small businesses so let's say look let's say i'm a a small business owner yeah why should i be forced Mm -hmm. to pay this worker 20 Mm dollars when i don't want to pay him or her 20 dollars i really don't care what you want to do as a small business owner that's my first answer (laughs) that person's livelihood that person's ability to eat food to clothe themselves to have to have their basic needs met is more important um, than what you think is fair personally. Um, and I'm, I, that's a really good question, actually, because it sort of it sort of targets an inefficiency of capitalism. Small businesses have lower profit margins than, like, you know, multinational franchises, or whatever. Walmart has such an insanely efficient, standardized like supply chain that they can actually set at like a pretty high wage, relatively speaking. The Walmart in my hometown. Was paying like eleven bucks an hour when Pizza Hut and local businesses were paying in the seven to eight range. Um, Pizza Hut where I work, but then a lot of local businesses were paying like eight bucks an hour. I had another job where they paid me eight bucks an hour, um, and it was for a local business, independent. Um, so like these super, super massive multinational companies can afford to have higher minimum wages because they make more money, and that's actually. That's actually good because that's efficient. It's like the notion of like an economy of scale. Um, when you do, when you, when you, when you have more of a thing, or when you have more businesses, you can make more money and you can pay people more. Um, but at the same time, those businesses are like pretty bad in other ways. Obviously, like WalMarts are famous for killing independent grocers in small towns. Um, they're fame. They're famously. I would say like chain businesses are like they kill like local culture because like every time a local restaurant goes out of business and gets replaced with the chilies, that's like a piece of that town's character that just disappears. Um, so like as someone who lives in a city, I think local businesses are more pleasant places to shop or to spend my money. I think they give character, they give that value to a place, um, while also being less efficient and while um, paying their employees less. So it's like capitalism doesn't really have a good answer for that because you're kind of right. The minimum wage would be like independent businesses would be like, well, shit, we can't afford this, which would suck, but I'm sorry. It's just more important that people can pay rent than that we have independent businesses, even though I'm obviously a big fan of them. They're just I don't, I don't personally don't know of any solution to that under capitalism. Okay. So you said you're a big fan of local businesses mm-hmm. and that would – you think it would – somehow diminish the incentive for people to create local businesses, right? I think, I to be, to be perfectly honest, I think that argument makes sense. And I'm not seeing anything to defeat that argument. Okay. Because so, they just make less money. Because local right, so businesses say, make less let's money. Let's say we do diminish, or let's say we, we abolish the minimum wage. Yeah. And a local business willingly 
pays their employees twenty dollars mm-hmm. an hour. Baller. Whereas another local business pays them five dollars an hour. Bastards. The other, the five dollar an hour business. Yeah. Is going to have zero employees. Mm-hmm. Which will destroy their business. Whereas mm-hmm. there will be competition between the twenty dollar an hour and and. I'd imagine the five dollar an hour would increase their their uh, minimum wage, I suppose, or their their wage per employer, right, or per per employee. So they'd probably increase it to twenty one dollars an hour, right? So do you think that'll create a bit more of a competition between the two? That sounds good on paper, but obviously, when they established the minimum wage, that wasn't the case, right? Like, granted, it was during a depression, so maybe it's not like wasn't exactly good times for the economy but um just the simple truth of the matter is in the real world that isn't what happens Min- wages were pathetic um throughout the gilded era between the time of the founding of like industrial capitalism when america starts to industrialize and you had all these factory stuff and then the, the implementation of minimum wage in that period when you had like, the modern idea of a wage job and the minimum wage, wages were not high. Okay, I can promise you that. Um, they were really, really low, actually. So maybe that, I mean, that, I understand the logic you're getting at, but that just doesn't seem to be what happens when there's no minimum wage. Okay. Because, I mean, there's a million reasons, but that seems to be what happens. Okay. So, are you pro, are you pro small business? Are you pro business? Or no? No. I'm... It's a hard, that's hard, right? Because like I said, chains tend to be able to pay employees more. Wouldn't chains strive? As in McDonald's? Whereas local businesses wouldn't? Under a $20? Thrive, you said? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's, I think there's merit to that that argument, yeah. Okay. Unfortunately. But again, I just think it's more important that people can pay their bills than it is for me to have like a special dining experience as much as i fucking love all the local businesses and like icons that make cities like austin so great um like it would break my heart if we implemented a minimum wage in somewhere like i don't know um home slice pizza couldn't afford to pay all those employees 20 bucks an hour and they had to go out of business that would break my heart um but at the same time and this just occurred to me. Um, a higher wage obviously means more like economic activity because there's more money in people's pockets. So those same businesses that need to pay people more would also have more custom. They'd have more people coming in and spending money. So it's not as simple as like the wage goes up, they can't afford it, they go out of business. Yeah. Um, but I can totally imagine, and I'm sure, I'm sure there have been studies done about this, whether or not there's like a wave of small businesses going uh, out of business after increasing a minimum wage. Um, but I can totally imagine that happening. Do you think increasing the minimum wage creates some sort of domino effect? As in, you increase the minimum wage, you have to cr- increase your product. You increase your product. Mm-hmm. Uh, that decreases the revenue or, or whatnot. Do you think that's a true statement, I suppose? Like, you increase the minimum wage, you have to increase everything else in the city. Like inflation? Yeah, I suppose. I think studies have been done about that, right? And they showed that... So, like, let's say you, you increase... The minimum wage in in a certain state. The state increases the minimum wage. Do you uh-huh. think people are le- will leave that state because they don't want to pay an absurd amount of money for everyday things? I don't know. I mean, 
like again, there, there, there are states where there's already a fifteen dollar minimum wage, like New York, um, and while the cost of living there is obviously higher than a place like Austin, um, why do you think? Okay, so I remember we talked about this. I think New York is the number one city that people migrated away from. Why do you think that uh, is? is that um, like- well, assuming that's true, it's probably just. Well, I think. I think and, if you and, show, and, well, and, and you argued it was from the vast majority yeah. of people from upstate New York. Yeah. Okay. I think yeah, New York has like a high turnover, right? People move there a lot, and people leave there a lot, so it just has a high turnover. And I think California was up there too. Do you know? Mm-hmm. They're like a certain. Do you have some sort of prediction or maybe opinion on that? Like, why do you think people are leaving these states? Well, famously, people leave California and come to like Austin because it's cheaper. Um, but that's like rapidly changing because there's like simple supply and demand. There's a bunch of people who want to live in Austin. There's only so many houses in Austin. Yeah. Um. Uh, but like, why are people leaving? I don't know because it's expensive. Because I think desirable places are expensive. Because when a bunch of people want to live in one place, there's only so many houses, and the prices of the houses go up. And I think, yeah, like, I think it's been shown that increasing minimum wage increases inflation like a little bit. But the minimum wage increase far outpaces inflation. So if you increase increase minimum wage by like, in this case, we'd be cre- increasing it by um, 100% or more rather because it's 725 times over to like 725 to $15. So that's 100% increase in minimum wage, but that would not obviously cause 100% increase in inflation. It would cause like a slight, very slight bump in inflation, if at all, which to me is like worth it. Because, like, year-over-year inflation normally is, like, I don't know what it is exactly, like, 2% maybe. Instead, it would be, like, 2.2 or something. To me, that seems to be worth it for several dozen millions of Americans to have, like, a better quality of life. So you said the reason, the reasoning for the, I suppose, expensiveness in New York City is because of the demand. Yeah. A lot of people want to live there. Mm -hmm. So would you say that over the past 10 years, a large or a good amount of people have moved to new or to to a state like Texas mm-hmm. where it's a lot it's one of the cheaper states in this country I'd mm-hmm. say right I mean I'd say it's one of the most populous states Well in this it's a good balance well. between like desirability and cheapness cuz they're obviously cheaper places okay. but there's just nothing there like I don't know, like Alabama or something uh-huh. Texas has a lot of cool stuff but it's also relatively cheap Yeah with a lot of people too Yeah So do you their reasoning behind why Texas is cheap and a state like maybe California isn't? I think they're they have relatively the same population. I think right. No, Texas is like thirty million people. California is like fifty five. Thirty million in California, fifty five. What about Vermont? Vermont and Vermont's tiny. Do you think Vermont's uh, more expensive than Texas? I have no idea. Maybe. Okay. So, I think after the consent the census. After ten years. Uh I think um, Texas is going to have a bit more rep- uh, representatives, mm-hmm. electoral votes. Sure. Because a lot more people have moved there. Hence why it's a lot more uh, populous. Mm-hmm. Is there a reasoning why Texas is one of the most, or more cheaper states in this country, mm-hmm. but also one of the more populous states in this country? Mm-hmm. Whereas, again, New York is one of the more populous states in this country as well, but it's one of the more expensive states in this country. Is there, is there a difference in maybe policy? Well, I think, you know, the income tax is obviously part of it. There's no state income tax, people like that. Um, there's also, like, an abundance of space, you know, the, in a place like Austin where there's just, like, endless farmland to build around the city. 
and people and since they have such ready access to cars they're just like fuck it we'll live an hour from downtown and just drive to work every day um so there's a lot of that going on a lot of suburb building on the on the outsides of major cities um as well as expansions of like small to like mid-sized cities places like college station or like i don't know lubbock or whatever um but I, yeah i don't know so you're saying like people want to live in texas like why you're asking like why is texas well no because you said the reasoning behind new york and why it's so expensive is because so many people want to live there uh-huh. but i'd argue that a lot of people over the past 10 years oh, right, have yeah, started yeah, yeah. to want to live in texas oh. but it's a lot more cheaper uh-huh. than new york Do yeah you know? it's just like an, i guess it it's just like an abundance of land, right? There's just so much fucking farmland around these places to build on. Okay, let's say. Let's Whereas, say, like, New York City, it's like, where are you going to build? Okay, let's Everything say, around it's, like, already developed. So you have to, like, knock stuff over, buy land that's already expensive. Let's say California. Let's take California instead. Mm-hmm. I think California is a lot larger than. Or not a lot larger. A lot larger, but it is larger than Texas. Let's say, wait, is it? I think so. I think it's Alaska, really? Cali, then no, Texas. Really? I thought we were second. Second in population and second in size, I think. Well, I'm talking about size in in terms of land. I think we're second. I think we're I think we're bigger than California. I'm gonna have to look this up. Really? Okay. I, I, I'm pretty up. sure. I don't know, but let's say okay. Even if we're if we're second, third, I mean we're, mm-hmm. we're relatively close mm-hmm, still. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people are living in California. Yeah. And coming here. Yeah. Or not here, but yeah, here, Texas. Mm-hmm. Do you? Like again, do you think maybe it's a uh, difference in policy instead of land? Maybe I don't know. That's what I'm thinking. I, you're serious saying it's income tax? I'm saying it has something to do with taxes and policy. That's what I. I think. the good conservative values that politicians <laughs> have. I mean, perhaps I don't know. That's that's what I'm thinking. I mean, like, it seems to me a lot of people seem to be leaving these states instead of coming them, coming to them. I mean, mm-hmm. they're they're losing electoral votes. Mm-hmm. I think I think they have lost electoral votes. I think we just had the census not too long ago, but um. Yeah, I mean, what's your take on it? I don't know, man. Cause it does. Cause personally, I, I love Austin. Yeah. I I'll even go so far as to say that I love Texas, but I'm not going to yeah, stay yeah, here, yeah. and I certainly would not move here from yeah. another place. If I moved to a place like New York, I would not be like, oh shit, time to go back to Texas, live in fucking Round Rock, yeah, um, okay, live in Katy. Sure. But I don't know why people do that. But I guess it's because it's cheaper, and people are just like, well, shit, I can save some money. Yeah. But obviously, lower state income tax means fewer like public services. And I'm someone. Maybe I'll have a different take on this when I turn, when I have a job and I'm trying to pay bills and shit. Right. But it paying higher paying higher taxes is tolerable to me if it means having more services for myself and the people around me. Um, that's like the whole like fundamental notion of like my politics. And, like, okay, let's say. Um, so America. you're a big fan of of the employees owning the means of production is that what yeah it is? okay so let's say okay you're an employee and mm-hmm. you're making a certain amount of money yeah why sh- why should the government or the federal government mm-hmm. take 60 percent of that your hard-earned money why should they do that because they're going to pay for True. services but that why I'm so, use. but why so much and i think that's the main reason yeah. people are leaving these states because they're they're almost i i I'm gonna use the word stealing, but stealing their money. They don't want. They want their money. They want to keep uh-huh. their money. They want money. Uh-huh. They worked for this money. Uh-huh. And I think the reasoning behind 
going from New York or California to Texas yeah. is that they can keep more of their money. Yeah, I'm with you, Joseph. I hate <laughs> people steal my money. Yeah. For instance, my boss, <laughs> yeah. when he scrapes that beautiful profit off of every dollar I give him. For sure. Um, but like... Um, <laughs> taxes are an investment like if i'm paying taxes it's for things ideally that i'm going to use or that are going to produce um like a better place to live like if i'm paying taxes for schools then i'm going to be smarter because i have good schools and my neighbors are going to be smarter and that's going to make for a more productive economy because more people are going to have good job good paying uh jobs or whatever um if i'm paying taxes for roads i'm gonna have better better roads even if i would prefer transit if i'm paying taxes for transit then i have more and better transit so like if my tax money is going towards things that i view to be like productive and like beneficial to like a more healthy society then i'm all for it um obviously if my taxes are going to the uh construction of like weapons and like waging wars in countries that i can't even name that i might be against that um and by my i mean i'm very much against it um but I wouldn't. I would say that I don't view it as theft, just because it's what's required for like the maintenance of like a, a functioning society. Because if roads, if we didn't have taxes to pay for roads, and roads would be private, right? And people would charge me forty dollars every time I had to go to work. Yeah. And that's just not healthy. And if we didn't have taxes for public schools, then everyone would be, you know, people would be illiterate, and we wouldn't go to. We wouldn't be able to use big words yeah. like illiterate to do this yeah, podcast. Exactly. And you wouldn't be able to use, you know, you wouldn't have all your, your knowledge and sources and stuff to make your claims. And I wouldn't have that either because uh, yeah. I didn't go to public yeah. school. Yeah. So taxes just, I think, make for a better place to live. And I think if you tried to privatize things that taxes pay for, um, it just wouldn't work as well because it would be based on how much money you have. And poor people wouldn't have access to the same high quality goods that we do, that we all enjoy now. So I want to touch a bit more on touch up a bit more on workers owning the means of production. Why is that? Why yeah. do you why why are you a big advocate for that or a huge advocate, advocate um, for that? Because we spend a third of our waking life or something like it at our job, you know? Yeah. Um 8 hours a day. And if I wake up and I spend 8 hours a day at my work, I should have some say um in how things go. You know, when you clock in, your boss becomes your god. Everything they say is 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 uh, written in stone. It's 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 uncontest it's incontestable. You can't you can't disagree with your boss. You know, in America we like to talk about freedom, but as soon as you step on site, you you lose all semblance of freedom. Your boss is a, a dictator. Um, so I think it's absurd that people go to work. And commit so much of their life to something they have no control over. I think that we should we should all take equal ownership in the things that we produce. Do you think people are... But let's say I think a rebuttal to this would be... Don't people have the willingness and the freedom to choose whether they want to work there or not? To a degree, you have to work somewhere, right? Yeah, sure. You have to have money to pay rent. Uh-huh. Um, your mortgage or whatever. So it's like, I guess you could choose between petty tyrant number one or petty tyrant number two. Yeah. At the end of the day, they're both going to do the same thing. They're both going to tell you exactly how you're going to do your job. And then at the end of the shift, they're going to scrape 
all off all that money that you just made for them and they're going to put in their own pocket even though you did all the work that's the that's the true absurdity of capitalism to me is that there can be some prick who happened to have some money got it from daddy you know if we go way back he stole it from some natives because he had land or whatever but wouldn't that prick have invested hang on well, hang on okay, go ahead, go some on, prick yeah he happened to have some capital yeah. in the form of land or money. He opened a business, and he hired some other prick to run the business, and he literally sits back and does fuck all his whole life and just makes money from the labor of others. That's truly insane to me. That's truly insane to me. I understand the need for, like, I think anarchists are a bit silly. I don't think we should abolish all hierarchy. I think we need some form of hierarchy in the workplace. I think manage- managers have some purpose you know i think you need someone to you know to manage people but your manager shouldn't be your god and your boss shouldn't be your god and you should have say over who your boss is who your manager is but don't you no you don't you wouldn't say that i i have a say in whether i choose who my boss is as in i have a say look okay so you, you refer to the i suppose the owner of the business as a prick um, <laughs> wouldn't you say that that prick maybe has a bit more say in how his business is run and, and the money that is distributed between everyone because this person invested and poured money into this business? I don't really care if they did. You don't care? But like, wouldn't that business, that business wouldn't even exist without this person. Okay. But... So you so you would agree with the okay so the notion I, the notion that the person that invested and poured money mm-hmm. into cultivating this business and employing these people and giving them a wage mm-hmm. and, and or employing managers employees who whomever shouldn't have a say mm-hmm. in how this business is run mm-hmm. yeah so what I'm saying is the person yeah. that created the business mm-hmm. started it from the ground up should not have a say. And how much money he yeah. or she wants to pay his employees. The owner employees. of the business is one person. Okay. And whether or not he has like authoritative control over all of his employees doesn't really have like... He's one person and all the profit he scrapes off affects the lives of everyone he employs. So... If, if if Jeff Bezos stops scraps, taking profit from his 600,000 employees or whatever, and he just gave that money to the people who work for him, that would represent an insane amount of money for each employee of Amazon. That would represent a massive increase in quality of life for like 600,000 people, or maybe closer to 550,000. You know, the number of warehouse employees and drivers. Obviously, the white collar like office people, it might not be as much money to them. But if you're making 15 bucks an hour for Amazon and Jeff Bezos, removing Jeff Bezos from Amazon, making co-op and giving those profits to every employee means every Amazon employee gets an extra 20 grand, 10 grand, even five grand a year. I don't care about Jeff Bezos at that point. It's more important to me that the 600,000 people who work there have more money in their pocket to pay bills, to go to college, to start their own business, I guess, if they really want to, or their own co-op anyway. Um... It's way, way more important to me that those 600,000 people have a better life than Jeff Bezos has some arbitrary claim to their profits. I don't care about Bezos at that point. So do you think those 600,000 people, those 600,000 people maybe wouldn't even have a job if Jeff Bezos never started Amazon? I mean, do you, th- do you care about that maybe? Or, or 
perhaps no. I guess not. Whether the employment rate in an economy isn't dependent on the number of people who decide to start businesses, right? Like if if the economy is doing really well and a and a business goes out of <laughs> out of business, um, then those people find new jobs elsewhere, right? Mm-hmm. So the number of people employed is based on how well the economy is doing, not whether or not people start decide to open businesses. But why should we take money out of Jeff Bezos' pos- pocket unwillingly mm-hmm. when he doesn't want to, or, or let's say he doesn't want to? Why should we take money out of his po- pocket without his consent or unwillingly when he is the one mm-hmm. who started the business from the ground up? I don't know if you ever seen that. That it's a relatively popular picture on social media of him in his garage with amazon.com on yeah, the wall right. yeah sure he started it in his garage mm-hmm. why should he have to pay i suppose those 600,000 people or give those 600,000 people his hard earned money mm-hmm. he didn't earn it though he would have no money without them so, uh, as would they i mean they wouldn't have money without jeff okay. bezos either look listen i mean look those 600,000 people, look, listen, I think he could find 600,000 different people to fill in those 600,000 different people. I think that those people willingly mm-hmm. signed to work for right. Amazon. So, I think they knew what they were signing up for whenever mm-hmm. they decided to work for them or him. So, like the note, okay, so the way property works under capitalism is not like the law of nature, right? Can we agree that private property is like more or less a human construct? Okay. Right. Yeah. The same way, I would say the same way public property is. The same way the notion that a government owns something is a human construct. Or the same notion that a co-op owns something is a human construct. So the only reason Jeff Bezos has any claims to the profits of Amazon is because when he founded Amazon, we had this we had this social contract, contract called private property and that he opens a business and people he employs, he gets to take the profits for them. That's all made up. And the only reason that's just and right is because those are the rules we agree to when he founded the company. So if we had gone back in time and changed it so that private firms were illegal and the only way to open a business was to open a cooperative, then the law would just say, your workers have claims to those pro- those profits. But he probably still would have opened Amazon, you know, because he still could have been, you know, a founder or a manager or whatever. I think it would have diminished the incentive for him to open Amazon. He wouldn't be as rich as he is now, right? I don't know that... I don't well, know like, that... Yeah, at the end of the day, we can't go back in time mm-hmm. and you know today right. is what today is yeah so why should you know again why should he yeah take money out of his, or why should he be forced well it's like i said i just don't care about one person next to six hundred thousand. i don't care if it's unfair i really don't okay and 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 the second thing i would say is that you know we should set up a new set of rules such that when people found a cooperative, a firm, right? Because a firm could be private or co- cooperative. Um, understand that it's a cooperative endeavor, such that they wouldn't be taking from anyone because it'd be a cooperative from the beginning. That's what I would say. I would say you should outlaw private firms, so that you can only found cooperatives. Um, but I just, yeah, I just don't. I just don't care about one person next to six hundred thousand. I just don't. So do you think having the owner, or not the owners, I'm sorry, the workers own the means of production is a, is a lot more efficient? Yeah, I think it's been proven by like studies that cooperative firms are at least as productive as private firms, if not more. Um, so 
because because like quad firms don't abolish hierarchy because hierarchies I would argue are efficient. It's efficient to have one person in charge and to have the rest of people follow that person's orders more or less to organize things. Um, but the person isn't who is in charge should be elected, and the rules that that person plays by should be should be um, agreed upon by the group, and the group should see equal ownership of the profits of that company. You know, like they should have a say in how things work. Is what I'm saying. But there still needs to be some kind of hierarchy. And I would say hierarchies seem to be efficient. You know, militaries, the best militaries in the world are hierarchical. Um, I, there aren't many good examples of armies that win wars that hierarchy. Um, like the Catalonian army was like a hierarchical, but they kind of got shit on in the Spanish Civil War, so it didn't seem to work out very well. Um, so hierarchy does seem to work. I'm not like an anarchist. Um, the Soviet Union had hierarchy, dude. Like, I'm not anti-hierarchy. So you talked about military right now. How do you feel about uh, the the country's defense spending, military defense spending? I think it should be more. Really? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's way too much. It's insane. It's more than the next 10 countries combined. Uh-huh. I think we make up about 30-something percent of the world's defense spending. That's crazy. I think, yeah. That's crazy. 34, I think, was the number. I forget. I don't know. Something. 30-something. So we should lower it subs- mm-hmm. or exponentially? So much of it is just like... I understand that a country needs to defend its borders. I don't really contend with that. So we should have some kind of army, some kind of military. Um, but, I mean, we have our hands in every pie across the planet. We don't need to be engaged in seven wars. We're engaged in seven wars at the moment, seven armed conflicts. Seven. That's too many. We don't. There's nothing for us to gain being in seven different countries across the planet. Um, the only thing our military should be, should be for is repelling foreign invaders. Some motherfuckers pull up to our borders with guns. And great, let's get the let's deploy the guard. But I don't think the motherfuckers in Iran are the problem yeah. right now, dude. Uh-huh. Yeah, they, I guess obviously terrorism is obviously very bad, and yeah. I think you should take steps to prevent that. But clearly, invading the Middle East has not invading Iraq didn't. I mean, this has been gone over by nine million people, but we didn't solve the problem of terrorism by invading Iraq. Yeah. And we're not solving any more problems by any of the wars we're engaged in. Okay. So, so decrease defense spending. What about uh, socialist redistribution programs? Social security, welfare, yeah. Medicaid, Medicare. Extremely based. Yeah, I think that I think that makes about sixty percent of the. That's so cool. Something like that. What about those? What do you think we should do with them? I think they make up more than the. Def- oh, military. Un- way more than yeah, military. Yeah, yeah, unquestionably, as so, it should be. So why? So should we? I suppose lower those, or should we increase those? Jack them up. Jack them up. Why? Yeah. Uh, but like all four of the examples that I just listed: uh, welfare, um, social security, Medicare, Medicaid. Medicaid. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I don't know the specifics of those programs, whether or not they're like, it seems like Social Security probably needs more funding. I think Medicare and Medicaid people are pretty happy with generally. Um, I don't know the specifics of whether or not those programs are like doing what they're supposed to. Uh-huh. But in general, obviously, I think we should increase public spending, you know, as a commie. Why? Because it makes better places to live. Because it's nice when people when you and the people around you have their needs met 
So social security is meeting our needs? Yeah, it gives old people money to live on if they don't have a retirement, if they don't have a 401k or whatever. Isn't, I was under the impression that the check from the government, so my social security check monthly, or not mine, but mm-hmm. old folks, I think it's about 1400 a month. Well, doesn't it vary? Are we both talking I about think something the, the we don't average, know anything I think, about? I think the, I think the average uh, social security yeah, check is about fourteen. That might be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't consider fourteen hundred a month. I think fourteen hundred a month. Yeah, fourteen hundred a month, a lot. It's not a lot, no. No, and no. I think that a not a vast majority, perhaps, but a majority of old folks or baby boomers, let's call them. Yeah. Don't. Haven't never did lived on a budget whenever they were right in their careers Uh as in they are relying on this check and i I think that's about a little less than seventeen thousand a year that social security check that's crazy i i wouldn't consider that livable no i wouldn't and i wouldn't consider that satisfying my needs but again i think a majority i think and if not a majority, close to a majority of, of baby boomers uh-huh. don't plan for retirement. As in, they don't have the funds or their own funds mm-hmm. or their own money saved up That's for retirement. Sad. So if Social Security isn't, I suppose, satisfying their needs or making them comfortably, li- or aren't, uh, isn't a comfortable check to live upon, Yeah. why have it? Well, I think that's an argument to send people more money, right? Not less. Fourteen hundred is better than none, right? Sure, but it's still not a lot. As in, what I mean by that is, it's not satisfying baby boomers' needs. Mm -hmm. I think sixteen. I think it's sixteen thousand eight hundred. Fourteen times twelve. Yeah, that seems about right. Sixteen thousand eight hundred. Something like 12 that. 12 times 12 would be 14,400. I think, I think that may so. be below the poverty median, as in the average That poverty. sounds like it's below the poverty yeah. line. Yeah, so they're essentially living less... In less poverty. Yeah, in poverty. Yeah. So you think we That's should jack up. up the prices? I mean, maybe we should... Again, if we were to jack up the prices, that means we would increase taxes. Yeah. Sounds good. <laughs> you're, you're a big fan of that? But, again, maybe perhaps I think that diminishing... The social security program would maybe increase people to have children. Now, the reason I say this is because, again, I think that, I don't want to say many years ago, but years ago, mm-hmm. a few couple of years ago, not a few couple, but a few decades ago, let's say, people, the main reason for having babies is for, now the way I interpreted it, is for their parents to not rely on their children but to have their children take care of them for when they you know get old yeah and i think having the social or the social security program almost again creates some sort of this this norm that people i guess shouldn't have kids because they could just rely on maybe a check i don't know rather but yeah. i think that again baby boomers should obviously or not baby boomers but everybody should live on a budget as in they should create a savings account for retirement. And I don't think they should rely on a social security check. Mm-hmm. And I think they should have kids to have their kids help them once they grow old. 
I don't think they should rely on a check. I think they should maybe rely on their kids a bit more than a check and mm. maybe rely on their savings. You're totally right about about the way Americans just like offload their parents and say, fuck this, you're living off the government, you're living in the retirement home, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Americans are really quick to, they want to give their parents independence in old age, which seems like, in a lot of countries, it's norm to live with your, um, to have your parents, when they get old, move in with you, you know, and have like a whole three generations live in one household. That seems like a pretty good model, um, but I'm definitely not arguing for the abolition of the Social Security. Um, I just don't. You said like that in the individuals should save for their own retirement. I mean, yeah, like I'm gonna say I definitely intend to have a 401k. Yeah, but I think individuals should be responsible for themselves. Is what I'm asking. I don't think individuals should be relying on the, the federal government. I, mm-hmm. I definitely don't think we should be relying on anybody. I think the main, the safest person that we can rely on is ourselves. Uh And I think that's what we should be going off of here. My response to that would be I don't really care who people rely on because it's more important they have their needs met. Like if you illustrated to me, if you could prove to me that having people rely on federal assistance somehow made a less productive economy or made people less likely to, to seek employment, then I might have more sympathy for your argument. But I think it's been shown that... I think welfare programs do that. I mean, we could talk about that. Uh-huh. Yeah, okay. But continue. I'm sorry. I cut yeah, no, but it's the same. Yeah, yeah. It's the same topic. Like, yeah. I think it's been shown that when people... Within like six months of being on employment, 80% of people will get a job. And then it's like 95% within a year. So like this notion that people just want to like live off the government doesn't seem to be founded in like... like uh, statistical fact um but it gets like something you have to pull up obviously um so i don't i don't know that i don't know that having a social security system makes people less likely to save for their own retirement because it's like at the end of the day if saving saving for our retirement just means a better quality of life like even if we're even if social security was more and it was livable there are a lot of old people living really really good well into well into their old age even to death um and it's because they saved so it's like if i knew i could have a really have a nice let's say 30 grand a year social security fund which i, I don't know if that's large but that seems that's like a 15 dollar minimum wage so that's more or less livable or i could have a nice 60 grand a year for my 401k or whatever obviously i'm going to pursue the 401k even if social security is still nice and livable um but some people may not do that. And then some people, I'd say a good amount of people. I guess I'm fine with that. That doesn't really bother me. So, maybe, so you're fine with people relying on the government. Is that fine? Yeah, I mean. more or less. <laughs> okay, so you say uh, <laughs> socialist, re- socialist redistribution mm-hmm. programs don't. I don't know if I'd call it socialist. I would call it like social democratic. Okay, right, social democratic. Or democratic socialist or whatever. Whatever the case may be, whatever the terminology, socialist yeah, yeah, or yeah. democratic yeah, yeah, socialist. Yeah, yeah. I'm picking. I'm, <laughs> I'm being picky here. Yeah. Pedantic. Uh, Pedantic. Thank you. Democratic socialist uh, redistribution programs. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, I suppose, lower the incentive for people to go and get jobs. Now I'm going to be a bit more specific here and say welfare programs. Uh huh. It doesn't seem like it because if you look at countries 
such a cliche. I almost hate doing this because it's such a cliche. But if you look at countries like Denmark and Sweden and blah, 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 the Nordic countries, Northern Europe, they have these super expansive uh, social democratic projects where the government taxes the shit out of people and spends a ton of money. But they have obviously highly productive economies where the average income is similar to ours or downright higher. So these people are enjoying a higher quality of life. They have universal health care. They have more ready access to housing, blah, 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 better education, blah, blah, blah. And the government is still taxing the shit out of them. But they seem to be doing really well in spite of that. So to me, that's like totally worth it. Okay. So I think... Um, and um, people... And I guess you were alluding specifically to like people not wanting to work or save money. People in Denmark work and save money. So why do you think people here don't do that? I mean, they do, don't they? Well, I think a lot of Americans a majority do. But back on welfare programs, mm-hmm. I think I don't know if you're familiar with the 1960. I think 1960 single mother welfare program mm-hmm. reward you for having kids as a single mother. Yeah, yeah. Did I? Th- I believe I think the black. The black uh, single motherhood rate was, I think, 20% at the time. Mm-hmm. Now it's, I think, is somewhere 70% today. Mm-hmm. 5% white single motherhood rate, 1960. Now today, I think it's 40%. Mm-hmm. Do you think that increases, I, th- I suppose, the likelihood for people to, ha- to for single mothers to have children? Um, and do you think that is a healthy household? I think... Maybe that's true, but I think a better question to ask is like, were African Americans like particularly wealthy before then? It's not like it's not like a bunch of black households were suddenly destroyed because black women decided that they didn't want to have husbands, and now they're poor because of it. They were poor to begin with. It's not like they became less poor, certainly, um, <laughs> because obviously like Jim Crow. Um, so I think I mean maybe you could link that to increased rates of like um, single parentage, but I, um, I think at the end of the day it's always a good thing to put money in people's pockets. Okay, so you say you mentioned Jim Crow. I think the single motherhood rate right after Jim Crow was abolished was about I think it was less than twenty percent. I could be wrong, but now today, what what was it? Seventy percent. You said something like seventy, yeah. Do you think maybe I? Do you think America is more racist now than it was then? And if oh, let's go on record. America <laughs> is one of the least racist places in the world by far. Let's go on record. Yeah, no, but you mentioned uh, 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 their financial standpoint, as in they were poor. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think it has anything to do with their financial standpoint or their economic li- or their economic uh, status, but rather their uh, the decisions that folks make. Hmm. No, no. The only thing that matters is income. Is well, I think your, they, your, you know, I think is your class status. If you're, income. if you, well, I think they look. Yeah. Listen, I think that these people tend to have um, what is it? Sex during wedlock. Out of wedlock, you mean? Out of wedlock. I'm sorry. Yeah. Do you think that almost? Mm-mm. No. So, if you're poor, if you grow up poor, yeah. you go to a shitty school, your dad doesn't make a lot of money if you have a dad, your mom doesn't make a lot of money if you have a mom, 
Um, you don't have good role models. You don't have a good job in high school. You have no prospects. Then you're basically being set up for a life of poverty, right? And like most people, you have kids and your kid is raised in poverty and which sets them up for a life of poverty and then they have kids. So poverty is, is, is cyclical, it's systemic. If you grew up poor, you're way more likely to stay poor, regardless of like which decisions you make. So the most important thing you can do is engineer a society where escaping poverty is as easy as possible. How do we do that? By giving them great schools, by giving them access to the needs, the things they need, like food and water and shelter, by making sure that if their dad is an alcoholic, he can go to AA, he can get his, he can be rehabilitated as quickly and easily as possible. If, um, if the marriage is broken up, that 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 um, or if if the parents fight all the time, that they have access to mental health care, they can go see a marriage counselor. By making by engineering a situation where they have as much right for them as possible, in spite of their circumstances. Because obviously, if you're broke and you have to work thirty hours a week at a part time job. To help your mom pay rent, it's gonna be a lot harder to graduate high school to get that diploma. Never mind college. So you need to make a circumstance where these kids have the most advantages possible, so they can go to a good school or you know get a good job after high school and escape that cycle. And I don't think it has anything to do with decisions because no one wakes up and like, man, I hope I stay poor. I can't wait to make shitty decisions my whole life and stay in poverty. People want to escape poverty. Nobody likes being in poverty. But you need to help people. You need to give them the tools to do that. Do you think people prob- probably don't understand? Listen, so th- these people are in poverty, correct? Mm-hmm. Maybe they don't understand that their decision may reflect how, I suppose, their future. I don't know. Maybe they just they act in the moment. Now, I, I've yeah. mentioned having sex during wedlock or out of wedlock, right? Yeah. Now. Obviously, and, not some great decision. Yeah. Uh, we, we can agree on that. Yeah, so well, not sorry, not sex out of wedlock. Having a child out of wedlock is not a good decision. Yeah, exactly. I, and Seems to be a bad decision. Yeah, and th- I think that having this welfare program for single mothers mm-hmm. increases the likelihood of doing of that? single motherhood. Yeah. Yeah, which is, I, I I think we, why, which is why, which is why I'm a huge proponent of like universal programs. Yeah. I think everyone, regardless of whether or not they're a single mother, should have their needs met. I think. I think if you breathe air in the United States of America, you should have your basic needs met. Yeah. That seems that's my position. So that's that's my problem with a lot of these Democrats and their stupid like little, um, you know, what's the phrase? What are the what's these means testing? I'm an enemy of means testing because it it shouldn't matter what your status is. You should have access to health care, to housing, to food, to education. Blah 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 blah. Do you want to talk about? Um, like identity politics sure what do you want to touch up on like uh we have a lot of common ground on like um like race politics and yeah. like oh yeah go on uh <laughs> a little bit on like go gender ahead. stuff yeah take the wheel um i don't know what's my position i'm definitely on BLM. like the oh yeah blm blm is totally like designed to divide people like it's absurd that oh. The notion that like white people can't be racist or only white people can be racist is absurd. Yeah. Um, it's absurd that like um 
the news spent an entire summer covering like quote unquote like racist police when there are like societal ills that kill way more people every year do you think the mainstream media tends to present the anecdotal rather than the empirical oh oh unquestionably yeah dude yeah. totally that's exactly what they do and that creates racial tension in the country yes they love racial tension yeah they love racial tension I agree now I, I, I'm sure you saw the whole you know during the May, or during the whole George Floyd thing and you know people were going crazy going to the country's major cities and wreaking havoc yeah destroying everything in to a degree but yeah yeah so you notice how they were people were destroying uh, to give an example a McDonald's mm-hmm why did they destroy a McDonald's? Like, what did McDonald's do? Uh, my question. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. They got rid of the dollar menu. <laughs> no, I don't know. It's like, I think what, I, I don't, not to be a liberal, but I think lo- what a lot of people said about, like, they threw around the MLK quote, riots of voice and heard. Riots aren't, like, a rational thing. Obviously, if you're, like, some... It's not, like, epic that people are, like, just burning down random buildings and, like... There are a lot of people online, like, lol, XD, burn down Target. (laughs) It's, like, I'm not exactly... I'm not exactly beat up or worked up about Target losing profit. But that's also, like, people fucking get their groceries there. Yeah, exactly. It's an important part of a community is having a grocery store. you know, also local community... Or local businesses. Yeah. I'm sure. That's definitely insane. What did they do? I mean, I... I Fucking fuck all is what they did. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I So what do you think the movement is seeking to achieve? Oh, it's... It's... A lot of people have talked about this. But, like, it's self... It's a grift. It's self-perpetuating. The purpose of race politics is to... Of, like, identity politics is for the people who fit in these identity groups to go farther in life. Like, it's so that, so that, like, you know, professional managerial class black people can get a better job. Which, like, I would do the same thing if I were black, fuck it. But, um, at the end of the day, it's just about, like, pursuing power. It's basically a way to achieve power for you and your group. Which is, like, unfortunately the history of most politics. But, but what I think the important lesson here is that it terrifies the powers that be, the bourgeois when workers unite despite their differences despite well obviously race isn't doesn't constitute a very good difference because it's not real but um like famously um i was i'm reading uh what's the book called uh people's history of the united states and the author talks about how like in the early united states white servants were white servants who were like more like not exactly slaves but they experienced some kind of light slavehood um were taught to hate black slaves because because the bourgeois of colonial america realized they'd be fucked if the white servants and the black slaves teamed up so the the people in power really love it when the people beneath them are fighting amongst each other as opposed to fighting the people in power Mm -hmm. because they're not challenging because if, if my if I'm if I'm a young white man and I think my enemy is and I'm racist and I think my enemy is black people or I'm a young black man and I hate all white people 
then I don't give a shit about the bourgeois. Yeah. I don't give a shit about Jeff Bezos. Because mm-hmm. ra- I, hate, I hate someone for their race. Mm-hmm. I don't hate someone for their class position. Mm-hmm. So the most fundamental division in, under capitalism is class. I consider myself... I'm a worker. I do have a job. So I consider myself a friend of all workers. And I consider myself an enemy of all capitalists, of all bourgeois. I don't consider myself an enemy of any particular race of worker, obviously. I don't consider myself an enemy of any particular race of capitalist. I don't give a shit what the race of my oppressor is. I don't give a shit what the race of my fellow oppressed is. Yeah. I care what your class status is. Which is like something a lot of people like on the left, that's things we've talked about. People like Adolf Reed or, uh, you know, Amy Therese, I guess, you know, not to be cringe. If you, I, do you know who that is? Uh, I think I'm somewhat familiar. She has like a podcast. It's oh, called What's yeah. Left. Yeah. And like she's, she gets banned on Twitter every month. <laughs> um, but it's, there's obviously a lot of people on the left right now who are like enemies of identity politics. And I definitely yeah. consider myself part of that group. But at the same time, I try not to define myself along those lines. Yeah. Because Marxism is self-evidently not an identity project. It's a class project. Yeah. So the fact that I have to iterate that is somewhat redundant. Yeah. But in an era when identity politics are basically the most talked about in most practiced form of politics, it's important that I iterate my position as a Marxist. I My concern is class. I don't care about the gender, the race, the religion, the sexual orientation, et cetera, et cetera, of workers or capitalists. I only care if you're a worker or capitalist. Or if you're on the work side of workers or on the side of capitalists, rather. Okay. So do you think maybe the left has created almost a so or a victim hierarchy? Oh yeah, we talked about that earlier. That's yeah. to- that's totally true. Yeah. It's like there's little modifiers and the more of these little boxes you check, the more merit you have. Mm-hmm. And I've found that like I'm almost hesitant to say this cuz I get hashtag cancel for it, but <laughs> I have totally found that as a straight white man, I have less authority in left spaces sure. than Agreeable. people of color, yeah. than people that are Cuz you're not allowed to talk about Cuz I don't have the special oppression yeah. points. Yeah. yeah. I'm somehow less in by being a straight white man, I have somehow less a less informed worldview than people who are oppressed. As though first of all, as though I can't experience oppression, and second of all, as though I can't I can't just you know, secondhand understand or empathize with the oppression of others. Um, and third of all, that there's necessarily some huge difference in the way white people experience America and the way black people or whatever else experience America, mm-hmm. which surely there are some differences. Do you think there's a constitutional difference? As in the there rights There definitely doesn't seem to be. That that seems pretty clear. So what, what, I suppose, blatant difference is there that people see that I don't see, I guess? Well, we touched on it earlier. It comes down to income, right? Income. So, like, black okay. people in America, they were slaves. Okay. And then they got freed from slavery. Great. Yeah, yeah. And they went to do, um, uh, what was that farming called? The Oh, 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 oh. sharecropping? Yes, they did yeah, sharecropping, sharecropping, so soft yeah. slavery. Yeah. And then they had to do Jim Crow. Yeah. So, it was just this whole, like, 400-year period where they were just fucked. Uh-huh. Completely and utterly yeah. oppressed in a way that yeah. no other people have been in modern history. Mm-hmm. And they haven't really had a chance to catch up since then. Because like I said earlier, if you grow up poor, you end up most more likely to end up poor. So African Americans haven't really had a chance to escape that cycle because they just haven't. Because they were released from, Jim, released from slavery and then later on released from Jim Crow. But they didn't have any money. They didn't have any land. They didn't have any way to build wealth for themselves or their community. 
and they never really got away from that. And that is the fundamental problem that African Americans face, because poor white people also have a shit shit existence in this country. If you're if you're a poor white person, you face basically many of the same problems that poor black people do. You have shitty schools. You're more likely to have confrontations with police officers. Blah 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 blah. blah. You face many of the same problems. Um, it's just that. Democrats don't want to recognize that because then poor white people would realize that they're the absolute best friends or should be best friends of poor black people because they're the same fucking enemy, uh-huh. which is a capitalist. Yeah. Um, so I, it's, it's to me, it's just, it's baffling that anyone's bought into this narrative that somehow the evils that African-Americans experience are because of racism, not because of capitalism. And it should be noted it should be noted that racism itself is only, only exists to perpetuate a capitalist hierarchy. Like the the slavers brought over black people, and the only reason they brought over African Americans is because they could buy them, because they went to Africa and they were for sale. I'm like, well, shit, it's slavery. Let's go. So they brought them over to America, and they realized they needed a system to enforce this slavery hierarchy. And they came up with this notion that black people are inferior, black people deserve to be enslaved, blah, 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 blah. They made a bunch of bullshit to justify slavery. So this notion of racism literally just exists to justify slavery, which made them a shit ton of money. That's the only reason racism in the modern world exists. So this whole notion of race and racism is made up by capitalists to keep us at each other's throats. And I know you may not agree with that notion, but that is the... That is such an important point for me to iterate. I cannot iterate that enough. So a lot of the left um, argue that there's a uh, there's systemic racism yeah. embedded in this country. Yeah, you don't agree, right? Is that correct, or perhaps you do? <sighs> it's that's a difficult one yeah. because like it's it was only like two generation ago that we had full blown, you know, legalized racism, Jim Crow, two or three generations or whatever. There are people alive who were victims of Jim Crow. So that shit was super recent. And it would be really hard for me to say there's no racism left. Well, I'd and then say, none of it's perpetuated yeah. in systems. But again, I think it's the same systems that that affect anyone that's poor. If you're poor, you're more likely to go to jail. If you're poor, you're more likely to die early. If you're poor, you're more likely not to go to college. If you're poor, you're more likely to... To, to make you're more likely to um, to be a victim of whatever shitty outcome there could be. So people look at African Americans who are disproportionately poor and go, oh, they're more likely to not go to college. That's racism. No, that's not racism. That's poverty. Poor white people are also less likely to go to college than well-off white people. Well-off black people are more likely to go to college than poor black people. All that stuff seems common sense. But people just take these racist, racial or ethnic groups just as a whole and go, well, white people go to college at a higher rate. Colleges are racist. No, white people are wealthier. That's the problem. That's what I would say. Yeah. So I don't want to pick at one political party here, but I, I noticed that the left creates a, a bit more division. Yeah, the demon the rats. Yeah, a bit more division in the country rather than unifying. And now, obviously, the right has done plenty as well, but mm-hmm. the left has done... I'd say in the past year, a fair amount more than the, than the right with the whole BLM mm-hmm. and and blacks are oppressed and now Asians are oppressed mm-hmm. and whites are, I suppose there's 
um, this country is a white supremacist mm-hmm. country or intrinsically white supremacist, whatever the case may be. But do you think they have done a fair amount of, I suppose, or implemented or, or created a fair amount of bipartisanship within this country? Unquestionably, yeah. yeah. But I think it's intentional. Intentional. It's totally intentional think- because if we are if we're fighting amongst each other on these these social issues, on this supposed racism, on on like abortion, like police brutality, which don't be wrong, these things matter and we should talk about them. Um but something like a thousand people are killed by cops every year, obviously a thousand too many, super fucked. But that's now, a fraction like- of the people who are killed by the healthcare system. Yeah. But the fucking media sure as shit does not talk about that. Uh-huh. Their only objective is to divide people. That's their fucking goal. So the Democrats are definitely doing that. But the Republicans definitely that's their that's the, the Republicans came up with that shit, right? The the Southern strategy, right? You know what I'm talking about? Maybe some people don't. Do you want to explain? Sure. Yeah, okay. Um the uh, oh god, which one was it? Which president tried it? Or which candidate? Uh, Nixon was like, well, shit, let's paint it to racist whites in the South. Mm-hmm. But without, like, being explicitly racist. So, like, this notion of of dividing people is, like, as old as America. Um, Do you think it aligns with their, I don't know, political agenda? Today, the left's a political agenda, as in they create division and they are seen as the anti-racist party uh-huh. or non-racist party. More yeah. people will come to their side. Yeah. Right? Am I wrong? Uh, it's just Democrats happen to control the means of like information. So like Republicans can't cancel you for disagreeing with them, right? Yeah. But if you publicly do something to challenge Democrat orthodoxy, yeah. liberal orthodoxy, you hashtag canceled. So, so, so Democrats yeah. happen to control... You know, the media and publications and Hollywood and all these institutions, colleges, famously, importantly. Um, so they wield that power to their own advantage. Yeah. Yeah. So I've noticed a discrepancy in the in the notion that the left or the, that, that, that the left presents that uh, America is systemically racist. Mm-hmm. It seems to me if, if America was systemically racist, it would be the left's fault. <laughs> because let's, let's look, listen, I mean, the left owns our... It, if you disagree with the left, you almost you will be castrated, you will be demonized, you will be canceled. Yeah, it seems as if the left uh, runs Hollywood. Mm-hmm. I mean, you saw it with that mm-hmm. with the recent. Uh, I yes. forget the actress's name. Who you know what I'm talking about? Some girl got Gina canceled. Carano from yeah. Van Orn, or I don't know if I she said her last canceled. name right. So you got hashtag canceled. So it seems to me as if it seems to me if the left is. I'm sorry. If America is actually systemically racist, wouldn't it be the left's fault? I mean, it seems to me that the left is winning the culture war mm-hmm. as in they're definitely winning the culture yeah, war yeah as in you are demonized if you do not agree with what democrats say yeah. if your beliefs or your political beliefs you're demonized for ideology white. yeah if, if you don't believe <laughs> in the same political ideology or if your political agendas or whatnot don't align with the left yeah then you're a bad person you're you are a bad person mm-hmm. well i think republicans do the same thing it's funny, I talked about this with someone else pretty recently. Politics is 
you know the phrase all all's fair love and war right i would uh-huh. extend that phrase to politics okay. democrats control many institutions they control colleges they control hollywood and they use those institutions to further their political goals yeah if republicans controlled those institutions they would do the exact same thing mm-hmm. if marxists controlled hollywood and media i would use those institutions to achieve my political goals i would cancel capitalists i would hashtag cancel jeff bezos i would hashtag tax the shit out of them right uh-huh. so i don't I don't necessarily see anything wrong with that. They're just playing a game. They're using they're using what they have at their disposal to achieve their goals. And until Republicans figure out a way to win that game, they're gonna keep doing it. Yeah. And until Marxists fucking until America until the American left stops being dog shit, then they're gonna continue to they're gonna continue to and by American left I mean like not Democrats, I mean like communist Marxists. Until the American American hard left the american marxist left figure out as a way to control this magically control those institutions then they're going to continue to losing to democrats do you have like uh, a plan perhaps i mean they don't seem to be controlling it now but maybe how do they control it commies as an aoc bernie well i would probably maybe not bernie but i would definitely call aoc as part of like the democratic party she's more or less an establishment democrat okay. at this point um it, Bernie is a good case study because he tried yeah. he tried to take power. He tried to pursue power, but he tried to play fair while Democrats didn't. They obviously rigged that shit against him. Um, but Bernie just kind of sat there and was like, well, I'm going to play by the rules, even if I get shit on. Um, so he, we know that we can't play fair because they'll yeah. just fucking cheat. Uh-huh. They'll pull some fucking rat shit, Pete Buttigieg steal Iowa bullshit <laughs> the fucking suspicious app blah 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 blah. you know what they'll do they'll just cheat so we know we can't do that um but what we can do I don't know I don't fucking know I have no idea I don't obviously many great minds have written about this but I don't know how to you don't know I don't know how the Amer- how American communists can achieve power first of all we have no one on our side most of the country is still afraid of that word we have no one in power. There's no f- real fucking Marxist anywhere close to power in this country. Bernie Sanders is the closest thing, chairman of the budget committee. Pretty powerful position, but he's also not very far left. He's a fucking moderate in Denmark. Um, or at least his pol- his policies are. I think personally he might be more radical than he lets on. Um, but his policies are moderate by European standards. He's not a fucking communist. So there's no one there's no one who shares my politics as thing we're close to power. And I don't expect that to change in my lifetime. So do you think um, that the Americans that fear the word communism, mm-hmm. as in, I suppose, Bernie Sanders, let's say, yeah. they fear Bernie Sanders because they think that history is replete? Because if it, I could be wrong here, but I, I don't think any socialist country in history was successful mm-hmm. so perhaps perhaps they're afraid <laughs> of, I mean perhaps they're afraid of being unsuccessful uh I don't know I don't know if I do I want to defend the Soviet Union on air <laughs> <laughs> I think by many metrics many many Marxist Leninist or socialist countries have been pretty successful uh I 
I don't know. I don't know. I mean, obviously, obviously the Soviet Union's like the most prominent example. People like to dog on them, but they were a lot. It was a much better place to live than I think most people, most of, than history lets on. Um, especially if if you look at like certain quality of life metrics, people in the Soviet Union were generally housed, fed, educated, given healthcare. Um, while in America we have like a homelessness crisis. Um, but I don't, I don't know if I want to go on air and finish the Soviet Union. I'm not gonna lie, I'm just you not well read to. enough about it. Yeah, yeah, you don't have to. Um, and I'm also not, I pers- I'm not personally settled on the issue. Yeah. Of like, yeah. Whether or not I consider the Soviet Union to be a success, or whether or not I consider Cuba to be a success. So what would you consider to be a success? Shit. <laughs> Probably nothing. I mean, maybe. I mean, yeah. I'm going off a limb here. I mean, perhaps, maybe. People are not big fans. Of I think socialism. North Korea is a perfect country. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, North Korea sucks. No, I mean, let's say that now. Again, you know, people may be scared because it just simply doesn't work in practice. In theory, it sounds sounds you know fantastic, mm-hmm. but in practice and when implemented, it just doesn't work. And I think people maybe look at history. Mm-hmm. And understand that maybe I don't know. That's what I'm thinking. But I've, maybe I've heard the argument that oh, that wasn't real socialism. That's not mm-hmm. true socialism. Well, mm-hmm. if, if that's not true socialism, what is? Is my question. I, I don't know. Okay. That's kind of the problem. Is that first of all, there's an insane amount of disinformation about um, about the Soviet Union. Uh-huh. Obviously, if we live in a capitalist country then the people in power don't want us to imagine an alternative. Would you would you accept that notion? The notion repeat repeat it. If I'm sorry. like if America is like a capitalist country, ostensibly uh-huh. controlled by capitalists, they wouldn't want working people to realize that there is an alternative. Right? If you're Jeff Bezos, why would you want your workers to think they could overthrow you? You wouldn't. I mean I wouldn't, but I think they do. As in I think that they understand that they could I believe during the Gilded Age, you know, there were, I don't mm-hmm. know if you're familiar with monopolies and whatnot. Oh, yeah. I think they understand that they could rebel. It's certain periods in history they have, and that's when that's when we got the most recession, or, um, not recession, um, concessions from power. Obviously, there was like a lot of powerful unions and stuff in the early 20th century, and that's also when we got the New Deal. Um, and stuff like the weekend, the 40-hour week, the minimum wage, blah, 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 blah. Um, but as for whether or not, like, there are examples of, like, successful socialism, I mean, I could, I could pair a lot of the same talking points for lack of a and they're talking points very much that I've seen tossed around online about the Soviet Union about about the effectiveness of their the their GDP growth like they experienced an insane GDP growth the most the second most I think of any country only behind Japan um, in the last century certain more than us certainly um, about the quality of life of like the average Soviet citizen um, and a lot of that seems to be true, but a lot of the claims about the NKVD and, um, 
the I, it does seem to me that the Soviets were, were oppressive in a lot of ways. And I have famously, not famously, but I say often that I consider the Soviet Union and the United States to be like similarly evil. That's kind of my position. But again, there's a lot of reading I need to do. There's a lot of information to sift through. There's just no, there's no clear picture of the Soviet Union in my mind. So it's really hard for me to say whether or not something like that was a success because there's so much conflicting information and there's so much I have to sift through to figure it out. Okay. Define evil. Uh, I would say evil is like when you hurt people. Okay. Okay, that's fair. Yeah. So, let's say, for example, so you're Marxist. Mm-hmm. And I'm not a Marxist. What you're how, not? <laughs> how do you convince me? How do you t- no. turn me to your side, the dark side? No, I was joking. <laughs> how do you join uh, me? <laughs> how do how do I join you? How, like, what do you say to me? For example, let's say let's I say, say you're politician. Give in to the dark side. <laughs> I don't know. I've, honestly, I have never been good at radicalizing people, and I don't know how to do it. I, I don't know what to tell I people. I suppose you can use the fairness argument, right? I mean, oh, everybody makes the same amount. And yeah. Everybody, nobody's poor or something. Yeah, something like I think that. you. I think the best thing to do is to prey on people's Morals? discontent. Okay. You know, yeah. they have a shitty job. You go. Well, your job sucks. Your boss, you know, you don't make a ton of money, even though you do a lot of work. That's bullshit. You should make more money. I think. I think the way to appeal to people is to appeal to their material needs. They don't have health care, you go you Medicare for all, free health care, free high quality health care. They can't afford college, you tell them shit, dude. You're a you fan some... of single payer health care system? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Why? Um, because it seems like seems like because it's not fair that in a country as wealthy as us, people can just die because they don't have good health care. Or they could have, they could go into debt their whole lives because they use that healthcare system. Do okay. you agree with that sentiment? That people go. Do you think into it's fair that people lives. have to go into debt just to live? Do I think it's fair that people need? Well, I, look, listen. My position on healthcare is that healthcare is a commodity, and in terms of fairness, I don't think it is fair for you to force a doctor to take care of a patient mm-hmm. for a certain price when they don't want to do that, especially when they spent money and invested in themselves, went to school for, I don't know how many years, eight to 10, some, something around there. Mm-hmm. And now they are forced to operate on someone for a certain price that they, they quite frankly don't want to do. If you, if you understand that, I don't do know. Do you think doctors in the United Kingdom feel like they're forced to do anything? I think if we were to do it here right now, they doctors in the U.S. would. Do you think doctors in now, any I country? Also, I also think that the single-payer healthcare system may lower or decrease the incentive for folks to go and, or, or for doctors, or for doctors to, or for people to become doctors. That's what mm-hmm. I'm saying. As in, they won't be as as um, they won't make as much money. 
Yeah. Practically. No, I mean, it's... American doctors make a uniquely large amount of money. Uh, in other countries with universal health care, I know I know I know the most about the NHS, the National Health Service, and the I'm not United saying Kingdom. that our health care system is perfect. It's not. Yeah, it's just that I'd rather not um, diverge into a single payer health care system. That's just my position on it. Um, health care is a really, really subjective topic. It's it's hard to grasp for me too. I don't. Again, I don't know the numbers in terms of whose healthcare is a lot more efficient, sufficient, whatever the case may be. Yeah. Um, I think I saw the WHO's rankings on healthcare, and I think the U.S. was like thirty something, something mm-hmm. like that. It was, it was that's, really low. That's sad, right? I thought it was sad, but I also thought it was absurd. I don't think that is true. Um, you think the WHO is rigging? rigging I think that. Yeah, well, I think they are doing something called. <laughs> think who's fucking? I us? think it was, I think it was proven they were they were. Uh, bringing in almost subjective polling data or something like that mm. to make other countries seem I suppose superior in terms of healthcare. I don't okay. know, something along those lines. But I could be wrong. I haven't looked into it all that much, but as far as the the sentiment whether I want to, whether I support single payer or uh multi-payer, I I'm a big fan of the American healthcare system. Or not a big fan, but I'd rather have the American healthcare system. Are you? Is it acceptable to you that somewhere between thirty and sixty thousand Americans die every year because they don't have health care? I think that the vast majority. Now I don't know the numbers again. They choose not to have health care. Now you say you don't care and all this other stuff, but again, people just decide that they don't want health care and this and that. But again, I think health care is a commodity, as in I don't. Bernie and all them think it is a, a human right, I think. I don't, yeah. I think it is a commodity. I think the way they phrase healthcare as a right is really annoying because I don't really care if it's a right. I care that it's more efficient and that it's... Sure, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think I am. At least we're probably going to disagree here anyways. But uh, I'm pretty sure that in terms of quality, mm-hmm. America has the best quality. Of healthcare, it has a very it, the system is very high quality for those who can afford it. Yeah, um, but it is not necessarily True. higher quality than other universal systems. It's not necessarily higher quality than UK or Canada. Comes, yeah. So when I think when it comes to healthcare, I think you're left with almost a dilemma. Now I, I don't necessarily agree with you, but that's fine. I think that you're left with a dilemma. You either have healthcare that is accessible to some people. But it's great quality healthcare, or you have healthcare that is mediocre, but mm-hmm. is accessible accessible to all. Definitely not. People that's what Can- I think the dilemma is. People in Canada don't have low quality healthcare. The UK doesn't have low I quality think, healthcare. I think I think the wait lines in Canada are like exponentially mm-hmm. larger than the U.S. People. Who have universal health care across the planet are pretty satisfied with it. More satisfied anyway than sure, we are. Sure, I'm sure they're satisfied. People in the United Kingdom yeah. don't wake up and go like, oh God, sure. I'm oppressed by the healthcare system. What if I can't get treatment? Because in fact, they can get treatment. They can always yeah. get treatment no matter what. Yeah. There are, uh, I don't want to call them inefficiencies because I wouldn't go that far, but there are quirks of universal systems that we don't have now. 
but that's just a simple fact of like giving everyone access to something. But at the end of the day, in the United Kingdom, they have a, a higher life expectancy. They have similar outcomes on stuff like on on, on important measure metrics. They have really similar outcomes. They have a generally healthier society, and they guarantee that healthcare to everyone. So even if there are like these weights and stuff, which seems like that might suck, at the end of the day, they do as well or better on all these metrics. In terms of life so, if like there are the weights or whatever, I maybe that's true, but if the outcomes are the, are the same or better, then I don't really care. Do you think the outcomes are are, the, are better in single payer healthcare? They're the same or better. Okay. I again, I don't have the statistics on that, but mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm gonna. I used to be so informed on this. I yeah. used to destroy people on healthcare. That was <laughs> that was like in 2016. I really? like I haven't cared as much since then. Oh, wow. Since then. Really, no, but uh, again, I think I think I could be wrong, but I think multi multi payer healthcare healthcare systems um do better than single payer healthcare systems in in when helping, in outcomes yeah in outcomes in certain outcomes rather like terminal terminal illnesses or breast cancer and yeah. such. I think that might be better. true, but I know for sure America has a a lower life expectancy than most of its peer nations and a, a much higher infant mortality rate. Perhaps it has something to do with... with I know those two for sure. Again, I'm going to go to decisions. I think America is one of the fattest countries. I could be wrong. <laughs> At least healthiest country. Because, again, we just... We love going to fast food restaurants. Do you think that part of that could be the healthcare system? We don't have good doctors tell us to eat less? Well, I think they tell you to be healthier. I don't think it has anything to do with healthcare. It has something to do with the decisions that individuals make. Do you think people in other countries just magically make better decisions? What makes well, what makes magi- America unique? In other magi- words, they just int- I don't want to say intrinsically, but intrinsically, but maybe their culture there is a bit different than our culture here. As in, maybe we have a be- we have a bigger or more popular fast food culture. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, but culture has culture doesn't appear from thin air, right? There's something that like, uh, I'm trying to think of an example. Um, if the culture of um, Native Americans is is building uh, tents out of buffalo hide, it's because there's like an abundance of buffalo in North America, right? Like historically. My point is like that Americans are the way they are for a reason. It's not just like self-evidently the way we are. Should we get rid of McDonald's? Is that what you're saying? Maybe. Yeah, I'm, what I'm basically, yeah. Well, I don't think that has any What I'm saying yeah. is that, like, the world we live in influences our culture. Sure. So if we have, like, a culture of, of fast food, then there are policy measures you can take to change that culture. Because the culture is not just, doesn't just exist in a, 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 a vacuum. It, it, yeah. it comes from the world around it. Well, I think people, I don't know if you've ever heard this this phrase, but I think people are here for a good time, not a long time. You see what I'm saying? So, so I don't know if I don't know if folks would be Amen, I, brother. <laughs> I don't know if folks would be necessarily happy with with stripping, I don't know, getting rid of, I don't know, fast food chains for whatever reason. Uh-huh. I don't know. I think they they're they're fine and comfortable with making their own uh, health decisions. If if well, that I mean, makes any sense. Healthy countries still have McDonald's, right? Sure, McDonald's but again, is everywhere. The fast food culture, but we don't have to outlaw yeah. McDonald's. Yeah, we just gotta give them alternatives. Just well, yeah, I think we have alternatives, Whole Foods and whatnot. 
If you're lucky, but if you live in a food desert. Not only uh, Whole Foods, but you know what I think it is? I'll tell you what it is. It's the the pricing. It's a lot cheaper to buy a a Big Mac and McDonald's than it is to go to your Whole Foods and buy a bunch of... So we should subsidize Whole Foods is what you're saying? Well, I'm not saying that. I'm just simply saying that's that's probably one of the main reasons why... Um, for sure Americans may be more unhealthy than certain countries I don't think it really has anything to do with maybe the healthcare system um, I think it's part of it I don't know but uh, yeah that's just my take on it um, but yeah uh, did you hear about the uh, stimulus checks that just passed 1.9 trillion was that how much we spent on this on the In checks total, yeah 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 you, or was it the whole bill I don't remember I think it was the whole bill Okay. I could be wrong. But, uh, yeah. Two trillion is probably, yeah, probably it's probably the whole bill. That's a lot of money. Yeah, so, you a fan? Um, no, because they're too little. Too little? Yeah. Are you a fan of who, whom they're giving it to? Or who they're giving it to? Uh, it's means tested. Which, like I said before, I'm not a fan of. They should give to everyone, regardless of income. So do you think I, I think they should give it to just the unemployed? Just the unemployed. Yeah. So if you have a job, you don't get a check. No. Why do yeah, you need a check? To move, get the economy going. Well, sure, but I think that okay. Look, listen. I think that since the government the government took these jobs away from these people. Yeah, that's true. They should compensate for this. Definitely. They should compensate the unemployed. Yeah. But people that didn't lose their jobs, why should they be compensated? Um, I don't know. I'm at the end of the day. I, I anytime the federal government can just help regular people, or rather makes the decision to help regular people, I'm gonna be a pretty, pretty big fan because they don't always. Um, because I don't expect them to write me any checks again. So like, if they're yeah. gonna do it, I'll, I'm not gonna stop them. Uh huh. Put like in my mind, putting money in people's pockets. Like I said before, putting yeah. money in people's pockets is always a good thing. It gets the economy moving. It gives people money to save, money to spend. They can go on vacation. I don't really care yeah. what they do. What about? Uh, I think they're giving money to inmates, prisoners. Am I they wrong? are. I think so. I hadn't heard. That sounds pretty cool. <laughs> so no, they, they need money when they get out because they don't have money well, when they get out. They well, just well, go well, back to say, thieving. Let's say they're not getting out. Life uh-huh. sentences. Yeah. What are they gonna do with his money? Goes to their kid. Oh, okay. Kid needs to go to college. Family? Yeah, wife needs to pay rent. So why should but like again like why should <laughs> why should they get money as in why? Because they're citizens of the United States. I suppose so. Anyways, all right. Well, thank you for having. Well, thank you for. Oh, we're wrapping up. Yeah, I'm just gonna wrap it up. We're two hours and ten minutes. I in. thought we went long. Yeah. Yeah, we're pretty long. I'm Are we gonna tired. edit it? Edit it? Are you gonna cut it down at no, all? No, of course not. No, oh, this is raw wow. footage. Okay. Two hours and ten minutes. So. Yeah. I appreciate you having me or ha- getting on my podcast or. Yeah. Thanks for inviting me. I'm yeah, honored. Sure. Thank you. Appreciate it. was a good talk. Appreciate. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for everybody for watching or listening rather, and uh, I'll see you in the next episode. All right. Bye.